Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ. I'm delighted to have as my guest today Dr. Brian DeFeo, who's the lead physical therapist in the Department of Rehabilitation Services at the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. Welcome, Dr. DeFeo. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. Today we're going to talk about an article that he and his colleagues published in PTJ. The title is Long-Term Functional Outcomes Among Childhood Survivors of Cancer who have a history of osteonecrosis. I'll do a little summary of the article, um, Brian, and then we can talk about it. The objective of this study, which was cross-sectional, was to compare the physical function and the quality of life of survivors of childhood cancer who had osteonecrosis as a history with that of survivors who had no osteonecrosis history and with a group of healthy controls. The study included St. Jude Lifetime Cohort Study participants. There were 135 with osteonecrosis and 1,560 without. They were at least 10 years out from their diagnosis of childhood leukemia or lymphoma, and they were greater than or equal to 18 years old. And in addition, the investigators studied 272 healthy people who were from the local community. The authors noted that survivors of childhood leukemia and lymphoma with and without osteonecrosis demonstrated impaired physical performance and reduced quality of life compared with the controls. With those who required surgery for osteonecrosis most at risk for these impairments. This was a really interesting study, Dr. DeFeo. I really enjoyed it. Uh, let me start by talking about um, the cohort that uh, you studied, the St. Jude's Life Participants. They were survivors sure. who were treated at, at the hospital. And um, one question I had in my mind was how representative is the sample of pediatric survivors with these diseases? Do you have a sense of that? Yeah, so um, patients that are treated and cured at St. Jude are followed for at least 10 years after diagnosis and until they're 18 years old, whichever comes last. Um, At that point, they're discharged and declared alumni and are eligible to join the St. Jude Life Cohort. Um, I work closely with our orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Mike Neal, and we were seeing a lot of patients coming to clinic with problems related to their osteonecrosis, many of whom required surgery or conservative treatment, Um, but then would be discharged to alumni status not too long thereafter, and um, we never really got a good sense of their long-term functional outcomes. So having the St. Jude Life cohort data available to us, uh, we decided to examine the group of survivors with symptomatic osteonecrosis and compare them to survivors with no history of that. Um, And we chose um, only the diagnoses of leukemias and lymphomas because those are the diagnoses diagnoses that make up the vast majority of active patients we treat with the disease. 
um, and this is due to the high-dose corticosteroids that they received during their chemotherapy regimens. Um, now, of course, as much as we try to avoid selection bias in research, we did have a large number of eligible participants that declined to participate in the St. Jude Life Study. Uh, the total number of eligible survivors with a history of leukemia or lymphoma was 2,726, and those that completed functional assessments to be included in the study was only 1,695. So we don't know how the outcomes of non-participants may have affected the results of the study, um, but I would say that the sample is still representative of the population of leukemia and lymphoma survivors um, with and without osteonecrosis. Um, it includes a close ratio of female to male distribution and the higher number of survivors um, with leukemia versus lymphoma. In your comparison group, you had adults who were friends of the cohort members as well as parents and relatives of current pediatric patients, and you frequently matched them by age, sex, and race. Do you have a sense of how well the a comparison group uh, fits the community uh, of a similar age? Yeah, so the, the healthy comparison group um, inclusion criteria only required that they have no history of cancer and no history of osteonecrosis. So there's always the chance that participants in the comparison group could have had an underlying musculoskeletal impairment um, that's, you know, seen in the general public, um, and that could have impacted the results. Um, but by matching this group by age, sex, and race, it definitely helped in limiting our con uh, confounding variables and gave us uh, more confidence that the differences we were finding in functional outcomes between the survivors and non-survivors were not just real but could be attributed to the independent variable, uh, whether that be having osteonecrosis or having surgery to treat osteonecrosis. Uh, we, we looked at the outcomes of many subgroups to determine which survivors were most at risk for poor functional outcomes. Uh, and by including matching in our study, I think it uh, gave us increased confidence that it was due to the variable we were interested in uh, because the comparison group was so similar to the survivors and all the other characteristics. You know, I was really struck when I read your paper about the statistics of uh, the risk for acute and long-term treatment-related toxicity um, that can result in, in impairments uh, in body structure and function, such as osteonecrosis. You noted in your paper that up to a third of children with acute lymphoid leukemia and up to 44% of children uh, treated with stem cell uh, intervention or transplantation could have these side effects. But in your, co your cohort, only 135 out of the total sample of almost 1,700, had symptomatic osteonecrosis. That struck me as very, uh, very few. Is that, is that the case, or am I just misreading it? Yes, that's a that's a good thing to point out. Um, in our patient population um, that receives active treatment, we do see around 30% of patients undergoing um, steroid treatment in our clinic for osteonecrosis. Um, a lot of these patients are being referred by their physician or radiologist um, because osteonecrosis is popping up on imaging. Um, and then they receive an orthopedic consult to determine baseline severity. Um, and a lot of these patients are completely asymptomatic. Uh, but because of what we've learned about steroids and osteonecrosis in these populations, all these patients that are receiving high-dose steroids are all receiving serial imaging now. 
Um, so that way we can catch it early and provide intervention to hopefully prevent it uh, from becoming a bigger problem. Uh, the population in our study, uh, they were diagnosed and treated between the years 1984 and 2002. Uh, during the 80s and 90s, not a whole lot was known about osteonecrosis in this patient population, and uh, serial imaging wasn't performed. So the number of osteonecrosis cases would have been lower at that time uh, because patients with very mild asymptomatic osteonecrosis never would have been identified, um, and yeah. thus they, they wouldn't be included in the in the group with osteonecrosis. Um, and then additionally, the survival rates are much lower then. So um, in, like in the 80s, the five-year survival rate for patients with ALL was only around 75%, and by the 2000s, it was closer to 90%. So there's a significant amount of patients osteonecrosis that didn't survive their primary disease. And then lastly, I would say that the large number of eligible non-participants that I mentioned earlier, um, many of them would have, may have had a history of symptomatic osteonecrosis but didn't complete functional testing. So I think all these factors combined resulted in a lower sample size for that group. But I think that if we, if we were to do a similar study of survivors 10 years from now, um, on patients currently being treated, I think we would have a cohort that's much closer to that 30%. Yeah, 30% is a very uh, high prevalence uh, yeah. of those side effects. It's very disturbing. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit about your findings. Um, it was really interesting to me that um, the survivors overall had suboptimal function as yeah. well as social role attainment and quality of life when compared to your controls. The survivors did not differ from each other on these outcomes based on their history of osteonecrosis, which I had expected. So I was really yeah. surprised to see that. But rather, it's based on their need for surgical intervention to treat the osteonecrosis. Mm -hmm. So what do you see as the clinical implications of that finding, which I found really quite interesting? Yeah, so as a physical therapist, these were the results that were really important to me um, because this is what I'm seeing every day, uh, which is that patients with involvement of the hip are having the most impairments more than any, any other joint. And compared to patients with other surgeries, our hip patients really do have a lot of gait abnormalities, weakness, and severe pain that's really limiting them. Uh, when it comes to symptomatic osteonecrosis of the hip, these patients generally are not going to recover the same way as those that have, say, knee or shoulder involvement. Their osteonecrosis is usually going to progress. Uh, they'll have hip injections, protective weight-bearing, hip cord decompressions. All these more conservative interventions are going to try them, to buy them time to get through their chemotherapy treatments, but they really do have a lot of impairments. Even after total hip replacement, many still have a lot of weakness, range of motion limitations, and other impairments. Uh, so I think as PTs, we can play a more active role in this population, seeing them for PT treatment before surgery to try to improve their strength and endurance with low-load, weight-restricted exercises. I think that would help. Also, I think it's time to begin implementing post-op PT protocols after surgery with, that are designed to target the poor functional outcomes that we found in the study, and that would include hamstring flexibility ankle strengthening, uh, physical endurance, and these are all areas that are, you know, typically overlooked when developing a plan of care for the usual total hip patient, but for these patients, they're going to require a more detailed focus on these other problem areas in addition to the usual hip strengthening and hip range of motion goals. 
Do you think that's well understood by the clinical community in our field? No, not not very well. I think that's something that I wasn't even totally uh, that well informed on, and I'm, I'm dealing with uh, quite a large population of osteonecrosis patients, um, more than people who work in other hospitals. And I think uh, I think it's definitely something that I will critique in my plan of care, and um, I'm glad that we were able to to get that information out there. Yeah, I agree. I was also really pleased to see that um, among the survivors with and without osteonecrosis, you did look at it and you showed that those who had impaired physical performance and endurance were less likely to have completed a level of education beyond high school. Mm -hmm. They were more likely to be unemployed. And they also had uh, diminished scores on um, the quality of life measure that you use, the SF36, mm-hmm. in the areas of physical function, role, physical body pain, and general health, as compared to those who are not impaired. So it's clearly indicative of this being a high-risk group. And, and right. granted, you had a cross-sectional design, so you don't want to go too far on this. Mm-hmm. But I, saw, I thought those associations were indeed troubling. What, what steps do you think can be taken to mitigate such associations going forward? Yeah, so so I believe uh, physical therapy can play a really special role in improving long-term function, and it begins early on. While patients are receiving cancer treatment, we need to be evaluating them regularly to make sure we don't miss early signs of the impairments that we're seeing long-term. Um, after surgery for osteonecrosis, we need to implement the programs I just spoke about with greater focus on endurance and overall flexibility and strengthening of other joints. And we also need to play a larger role in motivating these patients to be more active and get them moving. Uh, because unfortunately, many of our patients are very inactive um, while undergoing treatment here. And this continues into survivorship, uh, which may be why we are seeing some of these poor outcomes, especially with endurance. Yeah. Um, it, it would be beneficial for therapists to really focus on education, educate, educating these patients on the long-term risk of inactivity um, as they start to be discharged from our hospital and go back into their communities, uh, providing them with um, recommendations for home resources such as gym memberships, fitness programs, athletic, athletic activities, and also having PT included in all the follow-up appointments in addition to their medical visits. Uh, I think that would be wise um, in providing them home exercise programs as well as encouraging them to follow up with their local physical therapists in the home community regularly. Um, Hopefully all this would help improve long-term outcomes in these populations and allow them to have a more active lifestyle that would allow them to go to school and allow them to go to work and have a better overall quality of life. Yeah, I agree. You know, in terms of future research, do you ha- have the ability to follow some of these survivors longitudinally to move beyond the cross-sectional associations? Yeah, so um, we do have uh, continued, um, I-, I think every 10 years they'll keep coming back um, so that we can continue to do longitudinal studies. Um, so we are looking at that. We're, we're also currently um, studying active patients with osteonecrosis and taking a closer look at hip core decompression surgery in a young population. We want to look at the functional outcomes and gait analysis for patients pre- and post-operatively, and uh, we're looking to determine the function and how it improves uh, over one year. 
um, which is an important time span for these patients uh, to allow them to continue with their chemotherapy treatment and avoid having a delay due to a big invasive surgery, especially with uh, all the issues with wound healing and infection. Um, and we also hope to design other long-term studies, maybe some intervention studies um, as well in the near future. Well, that sounds great, and uh, I look forward to seeing the results of that future work. Dr. DeFeo, I want to thank you for taking the time today to talk to me about your, your work and uh, for publishing it in PTJ. Congratulations and thanks. Thank you very much. It was an honor.